Thank you for listening to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. This is Real Sports Talk for the Real Sports Fan. And I definitely appreciate all you Real Sports fans who are listening right now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do me a huge favor and leave this podcast a five-star rating. That one, two, three, four, fifth, that five-star rating review will definitely be appreciated. If you're listening on any other platform, that could be iHeartRadio, Podomatic, Google Podcasts, wherever. Please share from that platform so that your friends and family can see the podcast, listen to the podcast, love the podcast, subscribe, and then share it with their friends and family. I'm trying to get this podcast to the highest levels of podcastivity. I need your help to get there. It'll be truly, truly appreciated. I do apologize again. Seems like I have to do this a lot lately for not bringing you an episode last week. I was prepared, had my notes. I was at my desk ready to record and was having issues with the system that I used to record. For some reason, there was a crazy amount of static that I couldn't get rid of in the recording. So hopefully I don't jinx it now and it works out to where I'm able to post this episode. But the last episode, the sound was too bad. I don't want to post anything with that bad of a sound quality to it so that's why I didn't come to you last week but we are back this week and what we're gonna do is I'm gonna give you my winners and my losers for NFL week 2 predict week 3 and talk about whatever else comes to mind throughout the episode and when I do my winners and losers it could be anybody in the NFL it can be a coach it could be a defensive unit offensive unit individual player Anybody can be a winner or loser for that week. So let's start with the winners. Let's start on a positive note for this week. My first winner for NFL Week 2 is Eric B. Enemy. He is the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. And the reason that he is one of the winners this week is that not only did he orchestrate a comeback against the Denver Broncos, where Washington would go on to win 35-33. The team that he left, the Kansas City Chiefs, this unstoppable juggernaut that he didn't get credit for helping to build this offense, right? People said, oh, you know, he got coached by Andy Reid. Andy Reid's still calling the plays. And that's one of the reasons that we think he didn't get a head coaching job, right? And he had to make a lateral move to Washington to prove that his office of coaching could work outside of Kansas City. Now, of course, in Kansas City, you have the best quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes. You have one of the best tight ends of all time in Travis Kelsey. And for part of that, you had one of the best receivers in the league in Tyreek Hill. Now, after Tyreek Hill left, the offense still was very, very good, which I thought some of that credit should have went to. Eric Bieniemy, but it didn't because you have Patrick Mahomes, and people have the thought process of, "Oh man, you got Patrick Mahomes. Doesn't really matter who's calling the plays." Or if you have Patrick Mahomes, should the offensive coordinator really get credit like that? But so far this year, Eric Bieniemy has been able to get his offense to two wins against the Cardinals, which we know the Cardinals aren't good, but that defense has shown up. And against the Broncos, where we believe the Denver Broncos last year had a very good defense, and we thought this year would have a good defense. Now, maybe that has been luck so far, and he hasn't played against any defenses that are going to be good this year. 
but we'll just have to wait and see. So far, you have to go by what we see. And in game two, again, they scored 35 points in the come-from-behind victory. The quarterback, Sam Howell, went 27 for 39, 299 yards, two touchdowns. Their running back, Brian Robinson Jr., had 18 carries for 87 yards and two touchdowns. And their star wide receiver, Terry McLaurin, had five receptions for 54 yards and a touchdown. Got to give all credit in the world to Eric Bieniemy for his play calling and orchestrating that comeback. And maybe his absence has had some type of impact in Kansas City that needs to be acknowledged. For my second winner, uh, this guy's a winner because he's no longer going to be the meme of the week or the gift of the week. I'm talking about Geno Smith. Geno Smith last week in week one had one of the funniest moments of week one. Uh, one of the mics on the field or one of the mics on the players caught Geno Smith yelling, oh my God, as Aaron Donald ran towards him and he threw the ball away. Now, most of us in that situation with a guy like Aaron Donald running at us and we know we have no other option but to throw the ball away or we're going to get hit really hard, but also yell, oh my God. But because Geno Smith is an NFL quarterback, it is funny that he had that reaction, right? But it's a normal human reaction when a very big, very strong, very scary human being and Aaron Donald is running at you. I probably would have yelled, oh my God, and maybe had some brown stuff on the back of my pants if <laughs> Aaron Donald came at me like that. So I definitely understand the fear that went through him in that moment. He also did not play very well against the Rams in week one. That was probably the biggest upset of week one, the fact that the Los Angeles Rams just destroyed Seattle. Like if LA would have won a close game, like, okay, that's shocking, but it'd been like, we get it, division game. They always play each other well. It seems like Sean McVay has had Pete Carroll's number. It would have made sense. But the fact that they destroyed them 30-13 in a dominant fashion was like, yo, okay. Have we overestimated the Seahawks? Or did we underestimate the Rams in a major way? It seems like we may have because the Rams did play good in week two as well. They lost, but they were competitive against San Francisco 49ers. But this week, Geno Smith recovered and redeemed himself as he went 32-41 for 300, 328 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers against the Detroit Lions. Now the Lions, they made some improvements to their defense, but their defense was very bad last year. They looked good against Kansas City, but Kansas City did have a lot of drops. I believe six or seven drops in that game. One of those drops led to a pick six for Detroit. So that first game may have been a little fool's gold for the Detroit defense. The second game, they may have shown us who they really are, but you still have to take advantage of that. And Geno Smith did that in a major way with the stats that I gave off to you. So shout out to Geno Smith as my second winner for week two. My third winner. Who that said they're going to beat them Saints? The Saints defense has been monstrous so far. Uh, in the first game against Tennessee, against Tennessee, excuse me, couldn't get the words out. Tennessee, Tennessee, couldn't get that word out. But against Tennessee, they didn't give up any touchdowns. Ultimate bend, don't break. Forced three interceptions out of Ryan Tannehill and won the game with our offense, not really giving us much. Game two, you're going against the Panthers. It's a shaky offensive line in front of a rookie quarterback without the best weapons. I do acknowledge that. Panthers offense is not expected to be good. 
But the Saints defense still dominated to a point where it was impressive. Bryce Young really couldn't get in the rhythm. They gave up their first touchdown of the year, and this was late in the game where they were playing kind of a prevent defense. I didn't understand that because the game was still in balance, right? Because at that point, we were up 20 to, 20 to 9. Or, yeah, 20 to 9. And we played this very soft defense, and not only do they go down and score a touchdown, but they also get a two-point conversion, making it 20 to 17, and then they go for the onside kick. And with the luck of the Saints, especially in playoff games in recent years, I'm so nervous at that moment because, like, man, this is what happens to the Saints. Like, they're going to get this onside kick, and then some miracle is going to happen. They're going to win this game. But luckily, we recovered the onside kick, ended the game. But outside of that one possession where they played the soft prevent defense, the Saints were killing all game. All game. And the defense is just stacked with veterans who know what they're doing. Think about Cam Jordan, that defensive line. The rest of that defensive line is really coming through. Carl Grandison had a big game this one. You saw the rookie, uh, Breezy from Clemson, have a big game. Marshawn Lattimore has been outstanding, outstanding so far this year. Uh, you have to give all the credit in the world to him for being able to lock down one side of the field. Tyron Matthews been good. We've been really good. Our other cornerbacks, Adebo, Alante Taylor, these young guys really coming through and showing that they can be the guys opposite of Marshawn Lattimore. Demario Davis, Pete Warner, like these guys are balling. Like all three levels of the defense have been playing well. And as a Saints fan, I hope that continues. They will get tested this week against the Green Bay Packers. For the fourth winner, got to go Lamar Jackson. This is another player who redeemed himself from week one. Now, Baltimore won their game in week one pretty easily over the Houston Texans, but it was because Houston couldn't do anything offensively. In the first half of that game, Baltimore could not move the ball at all. Their offense was very shaky, just didn't have a rhythm to it. It looks like they were still trying to figure it out. So then you go into a game against Cincinnati. Cincinnati is coming off of a horrible game in week one where they just got mollywhopped by the Cleveland Browns. So when you go into that game, you got a team in Cincinnati who's trying to redeem themselves, coming in with a chip on their shoulder. And Baltimore still was able to be the better team. And Cincinnati has a good defense. They have a defense that has that bend-don't-break mentality. But Lamar Jackson was able to play well against them and not turn the ball over at all. He went 24 of 33 for 237 yards, two touchdowns. Also had 12 carries for 54 yards, zero turnovers, all right? Excellent game from Lamar Jackson. That's what you want. You don't need him to throw for 350. If he's throwing for 230 to 270 and running for 50 to 70 yards and getting you a couple touchdowns, that's awesome. Awesome in real life, awesome on fantasy. I have him on one of my fantasy teams. He was the reason I lost week one in the Real Deal Fantasy League. Redeemed himself this week. I appreciate you, Lamar. For the fifth winner. The Pittsburgh defense. Man. So, before I even get into that, the Monday Night Football doubleheader thing, why? Why are we doing this? So, I get that everything comes back to money, right? And ESPN, I'm pretty sure, paid a pretty penny to have, you know, some doubleheaders every now and again throughout the schedule. But the whole point of primetime is to have one game 
that you're concentrating on. That's the whole point of Thursday night football, the whole point of Sunday night football, the whole point of Monday night football is to have one game where all the eyes of the country, all the eyes of the NFL world are on this game. And looking at the schedule for week two, the two games that they chose were a little shaky for Monday Night Football. Because you had Kansas City and Jacksonville. You had Baltimore and Cincinnati playing. I feel like there were more choices out there for the Monday Night Football games or game that should be than Saints-Panthers. You know that the Panthers are not projected to be good this year. But I get it. They got the number one overall pick. A lot of people want to see how he plays. So that probably brings you ratings. People are interested in the Saints because they got Derek Carr, had a good defense last year. Cool. Cleveland and Pittsburgh is always a good game. Epic rivalry. I get that. But if you're going by the best games of the week, definitely would have thought Kansas City Jacksonville would be up there. Even though that game didn't try to be entertaining because it was low scoring, that's still a game that you would choose to put on Monday Night Football. Uh, even Baltimore Cincinnati, like I mentioned, that's one that you would put on Monday Night Football. So it seems like the choices they got for this doubleheader weren't the best. And again, the whole point of primetime is to have one game that you concentrate on so that the world gets to know these teams or these players for that week. Or they already know them. And it's just one that they know for sure is going to be entertaining because these players or these teams are involved. Sorry, just a quick rant I had to go on real quick. But the Pittsburgh defense... Man, were they dominant in that game against the Cleveland Browns. Now, the Browns suffered a catastrophic injury where Nick Chubb, his knee definitely isn't right, bent all types of wrong. You know, you're just praying for him to be able to recover and, you know, get back to the game that he loves. And him being able to run the ball is a big part of the offense. He is the Browns offense without Deshaun Watson playing well, which I'm pretty sure we'll get to in the losers. But in this game, Pittsburgh's defense had a pick six. First play of the game. First play from scrimmage, pick six. Also later, forced a fumble, which they recovered and returned for a touchdown, which happened to be the game-winning touchdown. And they had a total of four turnovers in this game. Like, that defense is monstrous. Monstrous. Uh, in week one, they didn't really get a chance because they were constantly on the field because San Francisco's defense was dominating their offense. And that has to be a concern going forward for Pittsburgh is that their defense isn't going to get two scores, two touchdowns every week. It's not going to happen. So what is your offense doing? Their offense isn't doing much. So that's something that has to improve. But for my five winners this week, Eric Bieniemy for... What's looking like his impact on Kansas City and his impact now on Washington. Geno Smith, nice recovery week in week two. Saints defense. Lamar Jackson and Pittsburgh's defense. Gonna take our first music break. When we come back, whenever there's winners, there's gotta be losers. So we'll get into the losers of week two after the break.
nasty, they don't make them like me. Mask up, all black, like a pool shiesty. Swoop through, I'm like Detroit Red in the zoo suit. Loose screws, any great challenges, I find a loop through. Loopholes, why they treat me so bad, Club Nouveau. Dang, the times we living in is crucial. This my time, cruise flow. Top gun, they too slow. Computers ain't fast enough to keep up with nasty guns. We ain't gonna never die. Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. So before the music break, I gave you my winners from week two. You can't have winners without losers. So let me give you my five losers for week two. My first loser is the Chargers defense. So the Los Angeles Chargers are 0-2. And... In both games, the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. Now, against Miami, that makes sense, right? Because we've all heard the clamor of appreciation for their offense and how it's run with the weapons that they have, right? Tua has looked amazing. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert, the speed they have on offense is absolutely bananas. Tennessee, that offense isn't like that. This shouldn't be a team that you can't stop. And what we saw against Tennessee is a team that just couldn't get off the field. Their offense played pretty well. No turnovers from the Chargers offense. Their running game wasn't really there. You know, Austin Eckler had a, didn't play. So... Understand that the defense may have been on the field for a long time, but you can't allow Tennessee, led by Ryan Tannehill, to be unstoppable against you, especially with all the money that's on the field on that defense side of the ball. Bosa, Mack, Jackson, like a lot of money on that defensive end. 
And Ryan Tannehill goes 20 for 24, 246 yards, one touchdown. Derrick Henry, 25 carries for 80 yards. Even the backup running back had a good day. The backup running back, he went, let's see here, eight carries for 49 yards from Ty J. Spears. Defense has to be better. Just has to be. Brandon Staley, or as my old partner Jason Freeman would say, Brandon Faley is not living up to his job as a head coach. He's supposed to be a defensive guy. And it seems like he's in over his head when it comes to head coaching. They have talent. They took playoffs last year because they have such talent on both ends. But that defense just isn't good enough. Second loser, Zach Wilson. This is a tough situation. Get Aaron Rodgers, and you already have a top-notch defense. You have weapons on offense, including one of the best young receivers in the league, Gary Wilson. Brees Hall looks like he's back to being Brees Hall after their ACL surgery. Got Dalvin Cook, veteran, good running back. And Aaron Rodgers goes down. Four plays into the year, you're right back to Zach Wilson, who last season was just garbage, right? And you're like, oh, did he have enough time to maybe learn some things from Aaron Rodgers? Maybe he's able to, you know, go forward and take some of the things from him. But you got to think, realistically, he saw Rodgers in practice. Rodgers was able to give some pointers here and there. But he didn't get to see Rodgers in full game action. Unlike Jordan Love, who was behind Rodgers for a couple of years, he saw Rodgers in game action and got to ask Rodgers questions. I don't know how, you know, how receiving Rodgers was of those questions that Love may have had for him, but you can see the difference in Jordan Love from the games that he played, you know, very seldom, a few between when Rodgers was there to now. And you can see the Rodgers influence on Jordan Love's throws. Zach Wilson hasn't had enough time to have that, so he's still Zach Wilson. And it's just bad. Now, the Cowboys' defense could have definitely been a winner because they look like the best defense in the league. And you wonder, is this defense just that good? Or have they played against Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson? Zach Wilson in this game went 12 of 27. Ugh. For 170 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. And they said they want to stay strong with him. They don't want to make a trade. A lot of names have been thrown out there. I know Mina Kimes is a big supporter of Jacoby Brissett. And Mina Kimes is one of my favorite NFL writers and content creators. And she makes a great point about that. Jacoby Brissett had the Browns in a good position last year before Deshaun Watson came in. And he was playing. He outplayed Deshaun Watson last year. With this defense and these weapons, Jacoby Brissett could get this team to the playoffs, maybe. But if you're going to stick with Zach Wilson, it's going to be another disappointing year for the New York Jets. For my third loser, Deshaun Watson. At this point, 
we shouldn't be blaming Rust. Understand that he missed damn near two full years with being, you know, held out because he wanted to trade with the allegations over his head. And then once all that stuff went down with all the allegations and all the civil suits, then you get him going to Cleveland and playing the last six games of the year, right? And you understood the rust last year, for sure. No one's going to take that much time off and get back to any job and be as good as they were before. But this offseason, full offseason, he should have been working the whole offseason with his weapons. And he just doesn't look good at all. The plays that we are used to him making as far as getting away from defenders and he doesn't look the same, had a few face mask penalties because he couldn't get away from defensive line. And then he's forcing throws. The interception that was the pick six to start the game, I can see how that may not have been his fault. Right? He's expecting the tight end to keep going. The tight end stops. And he throws a little too a little bit too far in front of him, tipped off his fingers for a pick six. But the fumble at the end of the game that led to the winning touchdown for Pittsburgh, that's on him. He has to feel the pressure. He has to be more accurate. A lot of throws down the stretch where he's trying to make these out throws, you know, outside the numbers, just weren't there. He went 22 of 40 for 235 yards, one TD, one pick, which is the pick six I mentioned, and two fumbles lost. You single-handedly kept Pittsburgh in the game. This was your fault. He has to be better. $230 million guaranteed. Now, let me say it like Stephen A. Smith. $230 million. $230 million. Like, when you get that much money, you have to ball. You have to. Especially when it's a contract that the owners, the other owners in the league didn't like. You have to show that you're worth that. You have to. And right now, he's not looking like he's worth the backlash that came along with him. Because when he was signed by Cleveland, I was one of the of the few people that said, from a football standpoint, it makes sense. Cleveland's never had a quarterback like Deshaun Watson. Never. So you, if you're Cleveland, you have the money to do it. You overspend to get a top 10 quarterback, especially with that defense that you have and the weapons you have on that team. The missing piece was a consistent quarterback. Baker Mayfield had his moments where he was good, but he was never as good as Deshaun Watson was in Houston. So from a football standpoint, the move made sense. Now, if you want to go from a moral standpoint and say they shouldn't have signed him, that's totally different. But from football and football only, I have no problem at all with them signing him. I don't think it was a bad signing. There's no way... You expect a guy who was a top five to ten quarterback in this league to be one of the worst quarterbacks in the league just a couple years later. Still in his prime athletically. There's no way you can picture that. So as far as a signing, I have no problem with the signing. I know a lot of people come out and say, oh, this is the worst signing of all time. How can you sign this guy? Stop the shenanigans. Stop the hypocrisy. Because there were... Reportedly, like 10 other teams were interested. I know my Saints and the Falcons were thought to be the finalists for him before the Browns made the offer 
of $230 million fully guaranteed. So I need the people out there who are coming out now and talking about how bad a signing it was to stop it. Stop it. Because we know from a football standpoint, it made all the sense in the world. But he has to be better. And it has to happen quickly, especially now with Nick Chubb out for the season. He has to be way better than this. Another loser. Justin Fields. Uh, it's been bad. It's been bad. <laughs> he has not looked good at all this year. And some people are pointing out, you know, the coaching. But there are certain plays, man, when you watch, you're like, how is he not seeing the open receivers? How is he not getting through his progressions? How is he not even seeing uh, what's in front of him as far as the pressure that's coming? The play that's been shown the most on social media is you're in the red zone and the defense is playing a zone. And one of the wide receivers is running a straight route straight into the open spot of the zone. Easy touchdown throw. Should be, boom, right there, ready to go. He doesn't see it. It's good protection. Very good protection. And instead of at least escaping to the right or the left, he just runs into the middle and gets sacked. He ran himself into his own sack. Like the lack of vision there from not only the running standpoint, but the passing standpoint is bad. That's not coaching. That's Fields. Now, Fields, you know, at a press conference, they asked, you know, what's going on? And he said that he's thinking too much. And a reporter asked a good follow-up question. Why do you think you're overthinking on the field? And he said, I don't know. It may be coaching. And a lot of people got on him for that. Because as a quarterback, you have to take the responsibility. You have to be the leader. You can't put the blame on others, right? It's a tough position, but that's the reason you get paid the big bucks. It's because you're able to take the blame and also get all the credit when things go right. So when you look at the fact that he was like, uh, maybe the coaching. And then afterwards, they had another press scrum in the locker room where he's like, don't twist my words. I'm going to twist your words. Now, if you as a person didn't articulate yourself well at that point, you can say, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. I should have said that I'm taking the coaching in and overthinking it. It's not the coach's fault. You could have said it that way, but the way you worded it made it seem like maybe they're overcoaching you or micromanaging you, and that's what's getting you on the field and getting in your head. But don't say the media twist your words because we literally have video of you saying this. This isn't hearsay. They're going exactly by what you said. And they're not taking it too literally because it's something that you said in that way. Now, if you want to correct that, cool. But don't say the media twisted your words. They didn't twist anything. You have to be better. You have to be better. Because right now, you're looking like a bust. You're looking like a total bust. And I didn't get the hype coming into the year. It didn't make sense to me. Last year, he had an amazing year running the ball. He had an amazing year running the ball. But, for example, Lamar Jackson is a quarterback who happens to be a great runner. Justin Fields is a great runner who happens to play quarterback right now. So that has to be reversed. You have to be a good quarterback first that happens to also have the threat of running the ball. So far this year, not only are you being a bad quarterback, but the running threat hasn't been there. And I get that, you know, the offensive line has issues, but there's a lot of plays 
where the office line's doing their job, and Justin Fields just isn't doing his. In the game, he went 16 of 29 for 211 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and two fumbles. Got lucky, both fumbles were recovered by the Bears. Has to be better. For my last loser, the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals were up 28-7 over the New York Giants. I want to say with nine minutes left in the third quarter. The lead should be safe at that point. Now, the offense still has to move the ball. They can't just go three and out and leave the defense out there. But both the offense and defense deserve equal blame for this collapse. Now, you have to give the Giants credit. They took advantage and made adjustments. But the Cardinals can't lose like that. 28-7. And the thing is, if they are trying to win, then it's a bad thing. But if they're secretly tanking to get a Caleb Williams or get whoever it is they think is the best quarterback out there, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft, then it's perfect because you're showing that you're competitive and you're still losing getting the result that you need. But that collapse was epic. Saquon Barkley gets hurt and you still lose that way. You're not able to do anything after the midway point of the third quarter offensively. Like where are the in-game adjustments outside of halftime? Seems like at halftime the Giants made adjustments. The Cardinals at that point, you're doing what you're doing. Okay, no need to make adjustments. We're killing it. Once they start making a comeback, where are the adjustments at then? Seems like the coaching staff, did had, they had no clue on what to do once things started going left. This is a young coaching staff, right? I believe it's a first-year head coach, first-year offense and defense coordinator. So, of course, they're, you're going to have their, their bumps, and they're going to go through tough times. But this has to be a learning spot for them where they're able to learn from this and get better going forward. So for my losers, Chargers defense, Zach Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Justin Fields, and the Arizona Cardinals. Are right, we going to take our next music break when we come back? Week three picks. Give you some of my gambling picks. Uh, last week, if you are subscribed to Burn City Sports, you saw my article for my best Spreads of the week went four and one. Went four and one. Pretty good. The one that I missed out on was the Browns, and I'm gonna blame that on the Nick Chubb injury, right? I'm gonna blame that on that. And oh my god, I hate that so much for Nick Chubb. He was my pick for offensive player of the year this year. I know it was a long shot with the wide receivers that are out there with Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson and all that, but I believe that he was gonna have 1,700, 1,800 rushing yards maybe 400 yards receiving a bunch of touchdowns because the offense is him. So that brings me back to Deshaun Watson. You've got to be better now that he's gone. They signed Kareem Hunt. That's going to be major because I believe he still has the ability to be a lead back. We saw what he was able to do in Kansas City before he got in trouble and had to get shipped out of there. I think Kareem Hunt can definitely fill in that role in a major way. But Deshaun Watson has to be a lot better for them to be successful. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. So now we are back. I'm going to give you my picks for week three. Straight up and against the spread. Alright. So tonight, as I'm recording this on Thursday morning, we have the Giants versus the 49ers. Are the Giants without Saquon Barkley? He sprained his ankle against the Cardinals in week two towards the end of the game. And they're expecting him to miss three weeks. There was no way he was going to play in this game on such a short return. So, going into this game, the 49ers are favored by 10 and a half points. Makes total sense. The 49ers look like one of the best teams in the league, if not the best. The Giants were down 60 to nothing over their first six quarters of play before making a huge comeback against the Cardinals. And that's the Cardinals. So with no Saquon Barkley going against that San Francisco defense, that O-line has been shaky for the Giants. I don't see this going well. So I'm going with the San Francisco 49ers to not only win, but to cover the spread. Give me San Francisco 28 going Giants 13. 28-13, cover 10.5. The over-under is 43.5. Mmm, 43.5. So 28 to 13, that is under, right under that. Am I doing math right? That is 28 plus 13. I'll put you at 40, right at 43. So, or 41, excuse me. Yes, y'all just heard me do math in real time. It was bad. I apologize. <laughs> but yeah, it is under that 43 and a half. So I'll go for the betting. Give me San Francisco minus 10 and a half and under. 43 and a half total points for the next game got Tennessee at Cleveland uh, Cleveland's favored by three and a half points the over under is 39 and a half I think Cleveland's gonna shut down Tennessee I see that defense doing a great job on them uh, Deshaun Watson start to see him get back to himself a little bit this game Tennessee does have a decent defense so I'm going to go Cleveland give me Cleveland 17 to 13 low scoring affair give me the under and Cleveland covers three and a half next matchup we got the LA Chargers at the Minnesota Vikings the Vikings are favored by one and a half in this one got two teams who made the playoffs last year or oh and two this is a big matchup right here for both squads Minnesota's defense is so bad Chargers defense as well uh, but I think that the Chargers defense will do a little bit more in this one so give me the Chargers to technically upset the Vikings in this one. Uh, the over-under is set at 53 and a half. I do think this is going to be a high-scoring game. So give me the over and give me the Chargers to win this one. Next matchup, we got the Patriots at the Jets. The Patriots are favored by two and a half. That Patriots defense is going to do a number on Zach Wilson. Low-scoring game, the Jets defense will keep it close. But give me the Patriots 17 to 7. In this one, over under set at 36 and a half, very low. And I still like the under on that one. For the next matchup, we have Houston at Jacksonville. Jacksonville is favored by eight and a half in this one. Over under is at 44 and a half. I like Jacksonville to win by more than eight and a half. I think Houston just isn't there yet. Uh, Jacksonville will definitely come back with a vengeance after being shut down by Kansas City's defense. So give me Jacksonville 28 to 10 over Houston and that would be under 
the 44 and a half. For the next matchup, we got Buffalo at Washington. Buffalo is favored by six and a half against Washington. I like that. Uh, Buffalo, as long as Josh Allen isn't just giving the ball away, they're a tough team. They're a tough team. Washington, they've got two wins, but those two wins, you can question a little bit, right? Arizona, you beat by four, and you struggle against that defense. Denver, you beat by two after being behind, had to come back. Buffalo, as long as Josh Allen doesn't have one of his, I just want to give the ball away type of games, should win this game by more than six and a half. So I'm going to go Buffalo 28 to 17 in this one. And 28 to 17, that would also be under the 43 and a half. Oh, no, it's going to be over, excuse me, over the 43 and a half for the total. Next matchup, we got the Indianapolis Colts against the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore is favored by eight and a half. Looks like Anthony Richardson may not play in this one because he's, you know, recovering from a concussion. Definitely want to be careful with that, but he's looked really good as far as the rookies go. He's been the most impressive rookie quarterback so far. Uh, but Gardner Minshew going against that Ravens defense. I don't like that matchup. So give me the Ravens to win this one 24-14. Now be under the 44 and a half. Atlanta, Detroit. This is a very, very interesting game. Uh, Detroit is favored by three at home. Mm. Both defenses are very, very shaky. Atlanta has looked really good with their running attack. They pulled off his comeback against Green Bay last week. Detroit's offense has been really, really good. Defense still shaky. This is a really good game that I'm not really sure about, to be honest with you. I'm going to go with Detroit to win this one. I think it's going to be close. I'm going to go Detroit 34, Atlanta 30, and give me the over on 46.5 points. Next matchup, we got the Saints. Who that? Said they're going to beat them Saints going against the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay. As a Saints fan, is glad that this is in September and not November or December. Uh, Green Bay is favored by 1.5. I think the Saints defense... This will be the first time uh, in Jordan Love's era where he's going to face a defense that will be able to put pressure on him. He's been very well protected behind that offensive line. That old line has dealt with injuries and still been good. He's only been pressured eight times so far this year. Been hit four, sacked twice, hurried twice. There's quarterbacks who have been hurried and pressured more in one quarter of play than Jordan Love has been and two full games. You have to give props to the O-line for that. But the Saints will be able to create pressure through their different blitz packages and their front four and also have the cornerbacks to shut down that young receiving core. So give me the Saints in this one. I think their offense is starting to find a groove and they will continue to get better and better as the year goes along with those weapons. So give me the Saints in this one. I'm going to go 24-21 Saints in this one. The over-under is 42 and a half. So I would say we're from the over-under. But I like Saints plus one and a half or just straight up on the money line at plus 100. Denver at Miami. This is an interesting one. Uh, Denver's defense, if it isn't dominant, they have no shot because Miami's offense is on a different level right now. And Denver, Russell Wilson, still just looks like he's washed up. Looks like that may be 
the worst signing. Even worse than Deshaun Watson because Russell Wilson showed signs of going downhill in Seattle. And it's just gotten worse since he's gotten to Denver. So I think that that signing or that trade, they gave up assets. So that trade and signing may be the worst in recent memory in, in the NFL. I like Miami in this one to win by more than seven. Uh, the over-under is 47.5. I like the under in this one. So give me Miami 27 to 10. I like them to win pretty easily. That would be right at 47, actually. Or 37, excuse me. So under. Hold on one second while I change this song. Got to take the instrument out. There we go. Peaches and cream. Classic. Next matchup. We got Carolina at Seattle. This one, man, you got to take Seattle on this one. Uh, Carolina's defense has looked pretty good. Their offense has looked really, really bad. Seattle's defense isn't the best, but I don't see how Carolina can score enough to stay with Seattle. So give me Seattle to cover my six and a half there. And I like the under on 42. We got Chicago at Kansas City. I <laughs> just talked about how Justin Fields isn't looking good. It's not going to get any better against Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City is favored by 12 and a half. There is a lot of points. But I do like Kansas City to cover 12 and a half. I like the under of 48 and a half in this one. So Kansas City to cover 12 and a half and the under of 48 and a half. Dallas at Arizona. Dallas is also favored by 12 and a half on the road. That just is nuts. Let you know what the, the world thinks of the Arizona Cardinals. Dallas's defense has been just dominant. I think that continues in this one. Uh, so give me Dallas to cover that one. And give me the under 42 and a half. I like Dallas to win, let's say, 24 to 7. Next matchup, we got Pittsburgh at the Raiders. Uh, this one's interesting because the Raiders against Denver looked okay. Then got mollywopped by Buffalo last, last week. So I'm going to go with... Ooh, and then Pittsburgh's offense is so bad. This one is really tough. I'm going to go Pittsburgh because I can see them turning Jimmy Garoppolo over a couple times. Low scoring affair, so give me the under on 43 total points. But Pittsburgh wins it 17-14. Low scoring affair. Ugly game. Next matchup, we got Philadelphia at Tampa Bay for Monday Night Football. Sunday night, Pittsburgh Raiders. That's kind of, okay. Uh, Monday night football, Philadelphia, Tampa Bay. That's also a little weird for those type of matchups. Uh, and we have a doubleheader on Monday night football again for some reason. Philadelphia at Tampa Bay. Philadelphia is favored by four and a half. I like Philadelphia in this one. Uh, Philadelphia hasn't looked the greatest in their two wins, but they have won those games. Tampa Bay's looked okay. Their offense looked okay. Baker Mayfield's doing all right. He knows how to find Mike Evans. Mike Evans, no matter who it is, he's going to be productive. You can see that. Uh, and their defense has been been good. But Philadelphia, I think, is just better all around. So give me Philadelphia to win this one 21-14 over Tampa Bay. So give me the under on 46 total points as well. For the under Monday night matchup, we have L.A. against Cincinnati. Cincinnati needs this game. LA's 1-1 one one with no expectations. Cincinnati is 0-2 with all the expectations. 
Cincinnati is favored by three. I like them to win this game. I think it's going to be close, though. So give me Cincinnati 24 to 17 over the Rams and under a 43 and a half. So those are my week three picks. I will be bringing you a detailed article on Burn City Sports tomorrow. My five favorite spreads. And remember, last week I went four and one. So if you would have went with me, you would have won some money. Three and two the first week, four and one the second week. Going for five no this week, all right? So make sure you check out BurnCitySports.com if you are a Phoenix sports fan. Or just a sports fan, period. But it is uh, catered to the Phoenix sports fan, Cardinals, Suns. Coyotes, Diamondbacks, everything Arizona State, Phoenix Rising, Burn City Sports covers you all for Phoenix Sports. Make sure you follow me at the Real Deal WDA. I will be bringing you more videos and more content on my channel and my social media coming up here. Been lost doing the work for Burn City Sports. I definitely got to get back to my own stuff as well. And until next time, go real or go home. <laughs>